Whether you keep them in your home or love to see them in theirs, these are the creatures that bring us all together. Reptiles. reptiles. We're going to be delving into the experiences of reptile lovers from around the block and around the world. This is the Reptile Talk Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Jeremy Turgeon from Brassman Reptiles. And I'm Rob, and I'm creeping it real. This is episode 23. 23. We're almost at a full day's worth of content. That's right. Content! <laughs> content! <laughs> uh, so in this episode, we're, we're going to be talking a little bit about, I think, something that anybody who's been in the industry for any length of time wishes uh, they could <laughs> flash back to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just like things that you wish you knew when you were first getting into reptiles or first yeah. getting into the reptile hobby. But before we talk about that, Jeremy, you just set up a Patreon, right? I did. I yes. did. Woo! I just yes. set up a Patreon, and uh, I'm super excited about it. So you can check it out. I uh, just search up Brassman Reptiles, and it pops up. And uh, I'm trying to utilize it as a way to segue um, both avenues of my professional life so reptile stuff and music so all the behind the scenes access stuff that you get when you do patreon uh will kind of be split between reptiles. like stuff i'm doing in the reptile room or like when we go to shows or whatever um and uh when you know when i'm finally able to start doing recording sessions again and doing gigs and stuff like that like all the behind the scenes shenanigans that at some point get posted on all of my other social media would be like first access on patreon as well as like doing a bunch of different live sessions um q a's and uh access to like getting lessons one-on-one -on -one lessons and stuff like that hmm. um so yeah go check it out i dig it patreon just look up Brassman reptiles there we go boom so for this episode we're going to be talking about things that we wish we knew when we were getting into the reptile hobby or getting into reptiles in general because there's so many things where like when you're in a, a group on Facebook or you're, you know, looking at different things online, whether it be on Morph Market or King Snake or Fauna, and for people who have been in their hobby for a long time, you might see something and immediately recognize that something's wrong. But for people who have not been in the hobby for a little while, they might, you know, end up going in the wrong direction <laughs> or they might end up falling for something that, you know, the, uh, the average person wouldn't. So yep. what would you say is like the number one thing that you wish you knew getting into reptiles? Oof. Um, I, I really wish I had somebody that was able to instill into me early on, like, find what you like mm -hmm. and pursue that. And just do that. And, yeah, you know, be it like a species or a couple of different species or even like uh, with breeding ball pythons, like pick the morph mm -hmm. that you really enjoy and focus on that, you know, cause it's so easy to get sidetracked, you know? And I was like notorious <laughs> for that as be, being that person as a kid going to reptile shows and like, Oh my God, that's a really cool. King snake. I'm going to buy this. And then, Oh crap. Now I need to breed it to something and mm. I've got to go now get this other thing. And, um, as I got older, um, especially now as I've kind of built brass man up a bit, um, I've really had to be like, okay, I need to focus a bit. So like I've downsized a lot on my carpet python stuff so I could really focus on the ocelot jungle stuff and the centralian stuff. Um, I'm going to end up doing the same thing with ball pythons a bit. It's just, it's so easy to get sidetracked. So I wish uh, then... I knew, like, if you just focus on what you what can be really you like, good at, you this can be one really thing. good at this one or two things, and you can still be respected for that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think I had always felt like I've got to do as much as possible so that I can gain the, uh, not necessarily gain the respect, but like, so people in every facet of the industry mm -hmm. would know that they could come to me for something. Yeah, and uh, that thought process will drain the crap out of you. Yeah. Yeah, it's like being, not to say master of none, but like you could mm -hmm. be, it's harder to be successful at a million different things than it is to be 
uh, really successful at one thing. And if yeah. you're known for that one or two things, people can come to you for that specifically. And when they have questions, they know, okay, this one person where it's like, oh yeah, I've got a pair of this, a pair of that, a pair of this, a pair of that. You might not be known for that. But right. when someone's looking for, you know, when someone's looking for Ocelot Borneo short-tailed pythons, they go to Matt Minnetola because right. Matt is the Borneo guy. When you, yeah. when you want Borneos, that's who you go to uh, for the most part. And when you have that, like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, you know, at a show, you might potentially reach new customers and, and stuff like that. But when it comes to what people come to you for, you, they might, you might not be the first person that pops into their mind if you don't have a specific goal or, you know, direction that you're moving in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's kind of where I'm trying to get myself now. Like, um, I went super colubrid crazy as, as mostly everybody knows, but, um, you know, I've really been able to kind of dial that in, you know, sort of like the corn snakes. I really want to like do some stuff with, with blood red mm. and, and kind of dial in blood red a little bit. So like, I like to stuff. So I got a hold of a blood red tessera, uh, to um, want to get pied the pied sided mm. into that, you know, so like that's cause I've always loved blood red. So like, that's where I want to go. Is it a brand new mutation? Hell no. But it's an awesome single gene mutation of corn snakes. So any way to plug it into other things is cool. Um, the cow kings, high white stuff, mm. you know, like trying to like really dial that in. So like um, ball pythons, uh, I really want to zero in on like hidden gene Wilma stuff because it's always been probably my favorite gene for ball pythons. Yeah. Um, you know, and then. A few other projects I know are going to be a little harder for me to focus in on, but I'm thinking very long term, and I'm just trying to gather all the parts that I need now so I don't have to do it later and hate myself later. I can yeah. hate myself now for a short period of time. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so focus, 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 focus. Um, how about you? What's, what's that one really big thing mm. that uh, you know now that you wish you knew then? I would say... Uh, don't settle. If mm. you want a particular project, uh, don't go with the thing that's cheaper. Don't go with the thing that you ju ju is just available now because you, oh, I've got $100 and I can get this thing right now. Um, it kind of feeds into that, you know, find what you like and do it. Because when I first got into like Bloods and Short Tails, if I, I was just like, oh, I'll get some of these and I'll get some of those. And like, if someone had one, like I had a couple people who hit me up and they're like, I just need to get rid of this one. Or like, I had to mm -hmm. get rid of it for cheap. And will you take it? Yeah, I can do that. But like, it wasn't what, it wasn't the direction that I wanted to move in. And ultimately it ended up being, I was taking care of a lot of s stuff that was like, okay, this doesn't really fit into what I want to do as, as far as breeding goes. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like when I look at, other people's collections, I was like, wow, every single animal of theirs is just, like, amazing. And I would look at mine, and I'd be like, I love this one, I love this one, and that one's okay. I really like this one. This one doesn't really fit in. And if you just get the stuff, if you just wait uh, or, you know, even talk to somebody, because there's a lot of people who post stuff and they kind of stick to their pricing, and it's like, yeah, I, I, you know, I've got this marked for this price for whatever reason. Uh, but if you build a relationship with people, the reptile community is usually pretty good about taking care of, you know, people who are actually invested in yeah, getting sure. involved in the community. <clears throat> and I've seen the community do some really cool things where they've really helped people out who are passionate and want to go in a certain direction and help them move in that direction that they want to go in, even mm. if they might not have had, you know, $10,000 to put right up at front, but people who are, you know, interested in getting some things, you know, don't message someone and be like, Hey, I'll give you 200 bucks for that. Or like, I really want it. So you should sell it to me for 200. Yeah. yeah but yeah. like, if you build a relationship with people, I know a lot of people who are like, go out of their way to really take care of one another. And I've been taken care of by a lot of people. Um, and I owe them, you know, tremendously for those people who have really helped push me to the direction that I'm in right now. And sure. I, I wish I had known that back then because I just was like, oh, 
I want to really get a really red blood python, but I can only get a $75 red blood python. If I had held out and like saved up a little bit more money um, and, and talked to people a little bit more, you know, maybe you can get one that's in that intermediate range for a little bit cheaper, um, but you can still get something that's nicer than just like, right, oh, I right. saw a blood, I like blood python, so I got a $75 one at the expo and I got it from somebody who imports them or someone who doesn't have any background information on it and you don't know whether it's going to be a nice color or not and, mm-hmm. you know, that, that sort of thing because you're not you're not patient or, or whatever. I think that that can definitely come around to bite you in the butt, yeah, you know, in sure. the long term. If, if you are just looking at like, Oh, it's just a pet or whatever. And you're just going to like it because of that species. That's one thing. But if you are right. ever thinking about breeding or potentially going in some sort of a direction, don't just do it willy nilly. Don't just like get things and be like, Oh, I got a male and a female. I'm just going to breed them together. You have a direction, have a purpose, have a, a, uh, I don't know how to, else to put it. Have a have a direction that you want to go in with those things. Yeah. Even if it's something that someone else might not appreciate, if you appreciate <clears throat> it, that's the most important thing, in yeah. my opinion. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Especially because you know when you end up having to talk to you know because if you're breeding, you're going to try to sell those babies at yeah. some point. So you've got to talk to somebody and really, you know, you have to sell your product. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to do that if you're invested in it yeah Yeah, and you're like this is what this is why i think this project is so cool because blah 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 you know versus like i I just threw them together and made some babies and now i gotta get rid of it's a thing bye you know yeah Yeah, exactly it looks all right you know take it um yeah no i i hear you 100 percent on that i think that's quite valuable and uh another thing is uh kind of quarantine and uh, when you mm. get new stuff in, be very, very careful around, especially if you are planning on breeding or if you have animals that you care about a lot, when you bring something new in, don't just throw them together. Don't just buy something and then the next weekend put it in with an animal that you've had and established. Yeah. That is a really good way to end up having your animals get sick or potentially bring pathogens in and blah, 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 blah. It's, uh, it's definitely something that newer people seem to not take as seriously Mm-hmm. And it can lead to some serious issues. It can it can literally wipe out your whole collection if you're not careful uh, yeah. with your biosecurity of washing your hands, bleaching, and, and cleaning your supplies and your uh, tools that you work with on a regular basis and make sure that you're minimizing the risk of cross-contamination because people don't talk about it a lot. I mean, I feel like I hear about it a lot because I kind of am in that lane where – it's something that's regularly talked about, but for the average person who just got a bearded dragon or just has a couple reptiles at their house, they don't talk about cross-contamination. I can't tell you how many people I've seen post pictures on Instagram of their ball python in the same cage with some sort of a boa. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, you don't even know what inclusion body disease is. You don't mm-hmm. e- you've never heard of IBD before. Uh, they can be crossed between pythons and boas and is critically fatal to pythons. You yeah. haven't heard of that. You must not have because otherwise you wouldn't, you wouldn't even have them touching the same table like <laughs> yeah just chilling together yeah exactly um but i can't tell you how many people they they're sharing a water dish and stuff and it's like oh my goodness that to me i look at that and i'm like yikes that is scary super super scary mm. and i've had customers that um that came into the pet store where they've had a python for a while and they got a boa and they ended up swapping tanks and they didn't even clean the tanks or whatever and they come in and they're like my python there's something wrong with it like it's its head is almost upside down and it can't write itself and it happens very rapidly. They're starting to lose weight and they're like, I don't know what's wrong. And I was like, do you happen to have a boa? And they're like, yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do with this. And I'm like, it has everything to do with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's at that point, there's nothing you can do to save that animal. So it's super, super important. And um, ignorance is an excuse. Like if you don't right. know, it's not an excuse because you know, you've got the entire internet at your disposal and it, it takes a second to Google you know, what potentially could go wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. People who are new might not have heard of things like crypto, which is like, that'll wipe out your whole shit yeah. too. Like uh, inclusion body disease, nidovirus, those Arena are all virus. things. Yeah that uh you know could very easily wipe out an entire you know family a collection of animals if you're mm-hmm. not careful about you know washing your hands and and uh you know biosecurity so that sort of thing is super 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 important and something that i try to 
or I wish I could stress more to people when they're getting into things because you might not know about that, but it's something that you should learn very, very quickly. If you got one reptile, it might not be that big a deal, but if you have any number more than one, it's, yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah, you want to pay attention to that kind of stuff. And yeah. I think um, more often than not, we, we don't it, it doesn't get talked about or, or really thought much of because you're like, Oh, I, I live in a house with like two dogs and two cats and you know, they all get along great and yep. I have that cage over there that's got three hamsters in it and they're all fine and yep. whatever. Um Yeah, and when when in reality reptile pathogens and, and viruses and stuff are so little is known. Yes. You know, so and like Nido is always a, a, a perfect example of just like it's been around forever. We just but didn't know it. We just didn't know it and now we're only just beginning to know about it, you know. And uh, I'm gonna th- I'm gonna crowbar this in there. Um, I will never downplay the severity of Nido virus, but what I will do is approach it in a very real way. Yes. And uh, realizing that as a purchaser, if you're buying an animal, there is some level of responsibility on you. If you're going to go through a quarantine period and whatever, um, and you want to test that animal, that goes on you. You know, just like if you get a dog, you buy a dog, your dog's got to get shots. Yep. It's, it is what it is. Yep. You know, that's on you. You know, some, you know, some shelters and whatever, they'll, they'll include that in an adoption fee or whatever, and that's awesome. But at the end of the day, it's on you, the owner. You know, <clears throat> um, some breeders will do shots and whatever, and that's, that's great. But um, as the keeper and the purchaser of, of the new pet, that responsibility lies on you. And there needs to be an understanding in the case of something like Nidovirus, where it's the information is still so much in its infancy that your Nido negative animals still need to be retested every few months because the primers update, you will never be able to say anytime soon that you truly have a nido negative collection yeah so you consistently have to be on that ballpark so i'm crowbarring that in there because of a comment that was recently made <laughs> but uh i feel like that's that's an important thing and especially as it, it has been popping up more recently as the research persists um which is good that we know about it but uh also like just had to make some things clear yeah (laughs) just it's it's something that is going to become on the forefront or it's going to be on the forefront of every reptile keepers dashboard here in the not so distant future Mm -hmm. and just know that there's lots of things going on uh that come in layers and rounds so uh it might not make sense or it might not be accessible to everyone right now but in the not so distant future there's going to be more information out there and it is going to scare the hell out of most of you (laughs) yeah yeah and um you know i mean that that certainly is one of the things that i know now that i wish i knew then you know is is a lot of those concepts of biosecurity Mm -hmm. and like a true definition of biosecurity is very uh it's it's not very one-sided at all because we don't all have the same kind of collections we don't all have the same kind of caging we you know yeah we have so many variables from keeper to keeper and place to place um you know literally if you have two reptiles biosecurity for you might literally just be washing your hands in between reptiles um sterilizing tools between each use whereas somebody who has 50 to 100 reptiles might mean like okay i'm wearing gloves in between cleaning each and every single animal, um, you know, or um, using changing gloves in between each rack. If you treat a rack as like a single colony of mm-hmm. animals, um, you know, th- those kind of things, you, you figure that out. Um, what works best for you, what's feasible, you know. Um, so, think, you know, I, I, if I think back to like the, the downfall of my original business, J&D Reptiles, um, knowing what I know now, I feel confident in saying that what ended up wiping out my collection then was a nidovirus. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then we, we didn't, yeah. we didn't even yeah. know what it was called. Yeah. You know, it was just like, I have this crazy RI that's killing my animals. Mm-hmm. You know, what the hell's going on? 
Um, so certainly wish I knew now all this info then. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's just the more that we learn, the more understanding we can have on those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Because it's, uh, it's still like the fact that we are able to access some of this knowledge now is incredible because it hasn't it's probably only just been published in in veterinary books or or documented in veterinary things within the last 10 years maybe i'm assuming probably in the last 10 to 15 years has only been when it's identified and and kind of learned about a little bit Uh, but the fact that the average person can look stuff up and still and actually get a lot of information about nidovirus and about you know, cryptosporidia or, or any of the other things you might encounter in keeping reptiles in numbers. Mm-hmm. The fact that that sort of information is accessible is crazy to me. Yeah. Because before, you know, the internet, it was like you had to go to a vet, and if you didn't talk to a vet, you don't know shit. It's yeah, like you don't exactly. know anything. And now you, you might not be able to diagnose everything. Like, I'm not saying because we have the internet, we don't need vets. You still need to go to see a vet, like a <laughs> yeah. reptile exotics vet. But you can get a better idea so when you walk through the door, you're not completely blind to what's going on Mm -hmm. because there's symptoms. There's things that you can recognize. There's other people who may have posted photos or information that you can learn from. And we're in an age now where we're in the learning age. You can go on YouTube and learn almost anything. Almost anything. It is ridiculous. Like almost anything. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so... The, the fact that all of that is accessible to people is very interesting to me and something that I'm happy for now because back when I was younger, it was like they had a book that was like, uh, what's wrong with my snake or like common reptile illnesses. And it's mm-hmm. like, if you didn't have that book, you didn't know anything about, you know, if you weren't a vet, you didn't know. Yeah. So. And even if you were a vet, you might not have you known. You still back probably then. Yeah. wouldn't know. I just remember, that, dude, that one, that always brings me back to that one time. I was like, I'm gonna go see a different vet than I usually see because, like, Greg, my regular vet, exotics vet, Greg Mertz, he was like out for vacation or something where mm-hmm. he like couldn't see me for a while because he was so booked or whatever. And I was like, I'll go to this one place in town because they have, they say that they specialize in exotics. I called them ahead of time. I was like, you guys deal with exotics? They're like, yes. Um, on their window of the office, they have like a dog, a cat, a bird painted on the window and a big anaconda like painted around them. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, they got a snake painted on there. Maybe, you know, so, so I bring in my Solomon Island ground bow. And when I brought it out of the bag, the vet was like, so what kind of snake is this? And I was like, oh, fuck, you can't help me. If you don't know what type of, if you don't know what species of snake this is, you can't help me. You don't know. Yeah. You're not going to know what's wrong with this thing. If you don't even know what it is, why yeah. did I, that's a waste of a hundred dollars, a hundred dollar visit for, me, <laughs> for you to tell me you don't know anything about reptiles. And yeah. it's like, ah, oh, man, it's so, soiled. Yeah. Tough. Yeah. It's just tough, man. Ugh. Yep. yep. For sure. Yeah. And then, you know, the other thing that like sticks out to me is, uh, how to pick out, vendors who you probably shouldn't buy from especially Mm. as a a new reptile keeper because a lot of people go online and they see you know okay so this person's selling a blood python they're asking five hundred dollars for it why is this other person asking seventy five dollars for a baby blood python i i don't want to throw five hundred dollars away and not know anything so why would i do that i'll just spend seventy five dollars right and they end up getting it from someone who's drop shipping them or doesn't actually have the animals at their facility or is getting them in and shipping them out that same day who don't know anything about that animal. And, you know, they could be carrying parasite loads. They could be carrying mites. They could be, you know, underfed, blah, blah, this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, you kind of get what you pay for a lot of the time. Like there are exceptions to the rule for everything, but that stays true for a lot of things, not just reptiles, but just about everything. You get what you pay for. If you are willing to invest that, uh, money into you know someone who's breeding them and has put time into reproducing them and has raised them or, or you know that sort of thing you're probably going to be getting an animal that is well established they're going to be able to, able to tell you history about that animal uh, what it's eating like all these different things that someone who may be offering it for less probably won't be able to and there's a lot of people who will just bs and just be like oh no no, no we've had this thing forever and it's like well um you know, what else, what information can you tell me? Oh, uh, uh, and it's like, no, 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 no. It's not, 
I wish I had been better or knew how to pick out that sort of stuff younger mm-hmm. than I, as I do now because now I look at it I'm like oh, I wouldn't I'm not gonna waste you know you're gonna spend seventy five dollars on the animal but you're also gonna spend three hundred dollars on the first vet visit and four hundred dollars on the Oof. second vet visit yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know all, all going down the line where some people just look at it and they're like well I just want like a, I just want a pet so I just want to get a seventy five dollar thing and it's like well. Just know it's probably going to end up costing you more in the long run. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It just is. For sure. Yeah, I, w- I would certainly certainly agree with that. Um, I I think I was lucky enough to uh, to have met the right people early on to mm-hmm. where I, I didn't have too much of that guessing game. It was like, I know that this person has exactly what I want. They came recommended to me already by somebody that I trust. Yeah. Um, so that cut out a lot of that, but as soon as, I mean, the internet was a thing, mm-hmm. you know, and you just started seeing like, oh my God, there's all this cool stuff available now because mm. I can see what's available in California. I couldn't do that before, mm-hmm. you know, um, it opens up a whole new world of treacherous ground, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause you're like that animal might look super cool, but again, you know, depending on the source, you don't know where, you know, where necessarily it's coming from. If it's an animal they produced or mm-hmm. if they bought it off somebody to flip it or, or whatever, um, you know, and uh, being able to have a conversation and feel really confident buying from a certain person. You know, I mean, if you think about it, that's why I like, uh, you know, YouTube and social media plays such a major role in business development mm-hmm. nowadays because like, you know, if you are consistently putting out content that um, it really engages people, they're going to feel like they know you. Yes. You know, and that alone is oftentimes enough to, to gain some clientele, which is, is good, but also is going to hold that person at a bit of a higher standard because if something goes wrong, mm-hmm. all it takes is that one person to blast it in the right social media group and tear them down, yeah. you know, a few pegs. Um, but yeah, definitely like being aware of where you're getting your animals from, being willing to make that little bit more of an investment if it's going to guarantee you a, a, a better animal. experience yeah. <laughs> as yeah. a keeper, you know, especially if you don't have, you know, 50 or 60 animals, if you're just trying to get a cool pet or yeah. maybe you want to have a breeding project, but you only want like two or three breeder animals, you know, cause you're like, I just, I really like these animals. I want to see what they can produce kind of thing um it's worth putting that money into it um you know i mean like i I think about like obviously being at nerd the amount of people who've like bought ball pythons from us and then like they breed them and they're like dude i don't even know what's in here like my mind is amazing you know way better than what i was expecting yeah you know and uh like those those messages are probably some of my favorite yes. because like they're already excited, mm-hmm. you know, and they're like, man, these snakes are so cool. And then they breed them and they're like, oh my God, but these snakes are, are even cooler. Cool, like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was possible. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I don't know. Like, and the other edge of that is the social media aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I wish that I had known when I was younger is that don't always believe everything that you read on social media because there's a lot of uh, groups out there i'm not gonna say who um specifically uh definitely the bearded dragon daddies and mommies but not not anyone specifically but uh there's a lot of groups out there that will like really throttle people instead of you know helping them out um and you can really get lambasted in a Facebook group if you post something that people mm-hmm. don't like. And, you know, it's one thing if you are, you know, asking for input or you are kind of new and you want some, some like, questions or whatever. But some people on those groups, they've been keeping a reptile for a year and they've seen all the YouTube care videos. So they mm. are the expert now. And it doesn't matter if you've kept bearded dragons for... 20 years and bred them and blah 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 uh they have their one and they know everything everything. it's like oh man ooh, yikes yeah that that sort of stuff (sighs) like and i've had customers call our store before who like 
we set them up with enclosures. They like people who spent extra money to make sure that their animal was happy. So it's not like someone who went to the bare minimum and just got like a you know a, a setup that was just I just want the things that I need. No, no, no. I have people who literally like ball out and get like seven hundred dollars setups for their bearded dragons, where they're like, I want everything to make sure that I can keep like monitor this animal's temperature, its humidity. I want to make sure mm -hmm. that I've got the best food. I want to make sure that it's got the best substrate. I want this animal to have the best life that it can possibly have. And, you know, people who spent that money and they're like, I, they've called me back at the store and been like, I think I have to get rid of everything I just bought because I posted in a bearded dragon group and people tore me apart. You're using loose substrate. It's going to die of impaction. It's, oh, and like going <laughs> off on all these things. And you like, you look at their bearded dragon and they show me pictures of bearded dragon. And it's like the healthiest, happiest bearded dragon that you ever want to see. Like it's got plenty of space to bask. It's got great ambient temperature. It's got perfect lighting. Yeah. It's got basking platforms. It's got, you know, substrate that's easy for them to clean and looks nice. And they're keeping it properly hydrated and everything's like absolutely perfect for this animal. And then, you know, the people in those Facebook groups, they look at it and they go, oh, my, and they lose their mind over some stupid minute thing that mm -hmm. is an exception to the rule in like the worst animal abuse cases, like the loose substrate thing. And they lose their mind and tell this person, you're an animal abuser, you're terrible, your animals, you know, it's going to die in your hands and it's going to, you love it and you're doing all this bad stuff to it. Yeah. And it's like, these people have no idea because when I look at their animals, I see this like fat, chubby sausage thing that they're killing with kindness because they're, oh, I feed it a thousand crickets twice a week. It's Ooh. the healthiest bearded dragon. You and he just loves me. And it's like, no, you're not doing right <laughs> by that animal. You're not doing right by that animal. I don't care. I'm just fucking say it. They're not doing right by that animal. If you ever see pictures of wild bearded dragons, or I'm not even, because some people go, well, animals in the wild, they're not always at optimum, uh, you know, but they're designed to survive. And you never see yeah. obese bearded dragons in the wild because they get eaten by things. They get <laughs> killed by things if they're fat. So they're not <laughs> supposed to be a fat. Millions yeah. of years of evolution <laughs> have made this animal a more slender, not like skinny, but a slender. Yeah, yeah, moving yeah. animal, an animal that's an omnivore. It hunts bugs. It hunts small animals. It hunts, you know, if it can get vegetation, it'll eat some vegetation. But it's not out there getting fat. It's not out there eating 50 freaking super worms a day, okay? Stop it. Just stop. You're you not mean, helping that animal. So you mean I don't give it all of the tomato hornworms that are in the, oh. the cup at the same time? You, you, yeah, you got to spread it out every couple hours. Sorry, Jeremy. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I was just throwing him in a, in all, a at dish the same time. all the same time. And then let him eat until he stops eating, and then yeah. he must be full. Yep. And then, and then, then I take whatever dinner. he's got left Yeah, out. give it to him for dinner. Exactly. There we go. Yeah, give a couple hours to start digestion, and then bing, bang, boom, you're good to go. <laughs> um, no, man, it's it's so true. And, and I think we I've probably talked about it before in a previous episode, but the biggest thing that irritates me with that also is especially when you if you start keeping multiple reptiles where how you have your animal set up yes like in, what kind of enclosure what kind of heating elements and all that stuff but also where you live plays a major role plays a major role in how that animal is going to act and react and yes of course there's a baseline of behavior and everything that that can pretty much be standard through the species um you know but uh, fluctuating temperatures in your home versus in your home versus somebody else's home 3,000 miles away from you. You cannot dictate to that person exactly how that needs to be kept because unless you magically live in the same house 3,000 miles apart, it's different. It's going to be different, you know. And, uh, y you know, we all want to think like, oh, well, the cage, I've made this cage a little slice of its natural habitat. And it's like, cool, but you still live in the suburbs of the United States. And that bearded dragon comes from Australia. Your ambient you know? humidity in your town is going to be different than that yeah. of Australia. Believe yeah, it or exactly. not. <laughs> Just so you know. Um, and there's nothing you can do about that. It's the air right. humidity and where you live. Like there's. Right. There's, you can try to accommodate for those sort of things and that we encourage you to do that, but you can't say that, you know, the way that I'm keeping it here is the exact same way that someone else should keep it, you know, in yeah. somewhere else. else, you know, yeah. 
I mean, like I think about the uh, the number of people that I've heard over over the years that um, like ball just throw ball pythons out there because it's industry standard species. Um, breeders on the Upper East Coast and for the most part the East Coast in general tend to have an easier time breeding ball pythons than um, we'll say some of the guys out in Southern California mm -hmm. because. The East Coast sees way more consistent barometric pressure shifts and during seasonal changes, and like we can essentially create the seasons without doing much of anything. Yeah, you know, maybe like a temp drop, or, or a night a drop, period. or whatever, or a photo period change, and that's about all we need to do. Yeah. You know, between like snowstorms in the Northeast and hurricanes uh, down south, you know, whereas like. It never rains in Southern <laughs> California, yes, you know, and there's like, there's nothing happening. It's mm -hmm. just like, it's wonderful and sunny all the time. You know, I hate you for that. But also <laughs> like, um, you know, being able to breed, breed ball pythons, like that barometric pressure shift oftentimes plays a major role. Now, yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible to breed without that, because obviously there are guys doing it. Um, but I've heard more complaints come from people in the lower West Coast when it comes to being able to breed ball pythons um, than I ever have on guys on the East Coast. So just like little things like that, mm -hmm. you know, and then there's also guys that breed ball pythons year round. Yep. You know, and they, and are wildly successful at it because they're able to maintain those those pressure changes and, and temp drops, you know, like whatever they need to do to be able to do that, they're able to do it. You know, so there's so many ways to, to keep you know, and I, I think to anybody that's just getting into keeping, that is probably the most valuable thing that yeah, anybody could ever tell you. Is there's lots of ways to there's keep lots things. of ways to keep things and keep things correctly. And everybody with an opinion may tell you that what you're doing is wrong, but that doesn't mean that they're right. Yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's just and you know everyone's got their opinions the the bioactive thing is a crazy popular thing right now and mm -hmm. a lot of people are like i need to force it on everything and it's mm -hmm. like some things just don't do great bioactive unless you yeah. want to donate a exorbitant amount of space and, yeah and money and time and blah 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 but i want my kenyan sambo to be bioactive mm. Mm. Uh, i'm sure that there's a way to do it somehow but yeah isopods <laughs> 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 uh, there tropical are, isopods yeah come on there are drier species of isopods but oh boy that's a challenge yeah no just fine dude it's some cool. rubber duckies and you know it's good to go they look cute together <laughs> that must mean it's symbiotic oh my god <laughs> one of the dude i see people in the blood python community or groups get roasted for that shit because blood pythons they don't like defecate very often mm -hmm. so they don't feed your microfauna in your enclosure very often and when the blood python goes to the bathroom it's substantial it's like a b very big it looks like you took took the snake like a tube of toothpaste and just rolled all the poop right out of them yeah. like like Oof. it's big a it, lot it's a lot yeah. more than most microfauna want to consume at one time <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say more than most microfauna want to consume at one time. You'll have obese microfauna. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for a month, and then the, you won't see a poop again for another four months. So yeah. it's like, and they urinate a lot, like more frequently yeah. than they go to the bathroom. So the ammonia, the acidity from the uh, the urine is not conducive to a bioactive enclosure. That's not to say you can't do them in bioactive, but if you wanted to keep a blood python in bioactive enclosure, it's gonna have to be like a 10 or 12 foot long enclosure where you've got, you're feeding your microfauna because they're not getting a lot of food from your blood python. Uh, you have to supplement your enclosure. You have to do regular substrate changes because of the ammonia from the urination and this that, and that it's just way 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 more work than people are intending because the bio uh, not bio but the bioactive they're thinking mm. i said it and forget it and it's like it's not that it's, it's not that it's not that if you want that you just keep it to geckos and amphibians yeah i mean stuff that or stuff that goes to the bathroom on a regular basis you probably even yeah. get away with collarbreds if you have a decent enough True. size enclosure you could probably True. get away with a collarbred doing a bioactive enclosure depending on which species it is and what kind of setup you've got but like certain it just doesn't work for everything you can't i mean it, i shouldn't even say that because 
you can do it, but it's going <laughs> to be a more hassle than you're intending. Yeah, is what it is. Yeah, and if you're willing to deal with that hassle, then, then good God for bless you. you. Yeah, good for you. You you do that. Yeah. Um, and then you know, and then if people did want to do that, they're gonna put their blood python in a twelve foot enclosure. Now their blood python is gonna be freaked the hell out because it's yeah. in a twelve foot enclosure, and it yeah, might not exactly. be your friendly pet blood python Oof. anymore. So. It's it's multi-layered. Just know that each situation, there's multi, multiple things that play into how you're keeping your animal. How what is the best, you know, quote unquote best for that animal? Mm-hmm. The different ways that you can theoretically keep them. There are multiple different layers. And if you're taking care of your animal, if you're feeding them, if you're keeping an eye on their weight, if you're making sure that they have clean water, uh, you know, you're doing best by that animal. You're keeping them clean. You know, you're giving them fresh water. You're making sure that they're not obese and they're not skinny. You're doing the best by that animal. And if people want to tell you that it's not the best, uh, you know, because of their opinion or how they do things, Mm -hmm. judge by your animal. I say go by the animal every time. If your animal is happy, then that's what's most important. Yeah, 100%. I've seen so many people that get so stuck on feeding regimens where they're like, I need to feed everything on Wednesday. That's my feeding day. I feed everything that, or just like pick a day. That's the day that I feed everything. And I've raised short tails where they're the same age, same size, you know, but from different clutches, like different, Mm -hmm. uh, different, uh, you know, not siblings. Yeah. And I'm raising them together. I'm feeding them the same size meals. And I got one that like, it never gets thick. It just like gets longer and longer and longer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fill out until it's a big, a, you know, almost adult size. Yeah. And I've got another one that it's fat. It's like a little chubby saw. It's not getting any longer, but it's getting wider and wider and wider. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to have to stop feeding you because you're not growing longer as quickly as the other one. Mm-hmm. But if you were to look at the two animals side by side, you go, oh, the thin one, you're not feeding enough. And it's like, well, I'm feeding it every week. It just, its metabolism is different. It's got different genetics. It's yeah. its not the same exact animal. They're not coffee cups. They're not mm-hmm. something that you pull off of the shelf. And this animal is the exact same as that animal. You know, it might be different. So you kind of have to play it by uh, your individual animal. And that's where, like, uh, I think as Eugene Bissett said, you have to be a student of the serpent. You have to mm-hmm. learn from your animal. Like, you're learning about the animals. You're, you're taking care of them and everything. But you have to... Uh, be willing to have them teach you something because if you go by oh well I feed them every single week I read online the care sheet says feed them every week and you notice that your animal is starting to get fat maybe you shouldn't feed them every week maybe you should slow those feedings down and when people get stuck so much in the box of this is how it should be done it doesn't open them up to the ideas of how it could be done Mm -hmm. And, and there is a much bigger broader spectrum of how things can be done when you don't box yourself into how they you know quote unquote should be done right no it's so true man as you're saying that i'm I'm thinking about like a multitude of of different species like even if you think about like almost any colubrid species you know that that inevitably as younger animals are like raiding rodent dens yes um you know, do you think they're just going to go in and eat one pinky? No. They're going to eat as many as they freaking can. Yeah. And then, you know, or until they can't consume anything else anymore because they're basically about to (laughs) throw up. Yeah. Um, And they carry on. And they go find someplace to hide for six weeks. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And And they go out looking for food again. Exactly. You know, but but the care sheet said one pinky once, a week. Once a week. You know what I mean? So am I saying everybody go feed your juvenile corn snake 12 pinkies in no. one sitting? Absolutely not. But what I'm saying is like... Nature is not kind. Yeah. It does not have a calendar. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's not going by, oh, well, it's 5 o'clock on Wednesday. It's time to eat. Time to eat. <laughs> yeah, no, they, yeah. they eat when they can. And they, yeah. uh, they, they, and they eat. They make do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think very often we we forget that because everything is everything is so tailored to us. Yes. Just as as human beings, everything's so tailored to us. How does this fit into your schedule? Mm-hmm. Let's make this work for you, yep. for you, for you, for you. And these animals are like, we're not humans. We're not. Yeah, we're not <laughs> humans, but also like. Fuck, man, we live in some tough places, man. Yeah. If I'm, I'm going to only be able to eat once a month, 
you know, or once every two months or three months, depending on where the animal lives and, and what its uh, what its type of lifestyle is. You know, like, blood python is going to find a place to sit well, yeah. and sit. You know, <laughs> it's not going to move unless it has to. You know, yeah. um, so that thing might only eat once every two to three months. If that's If that's, you know, yeah. And it's not going to be, oh, this rodent is appropriately sized exactly yeah. for the thickness of the thickest part of the snake's body. It's like, yeah. no, sometimes they get something that's super tiny, and then sometimes they eat something that almost splits them in half. Yeah, it's like, exactly. And that's okay. They don't know? have anyone going, this is the appropriate size yeah. rodent Here, buddy. for this. Yeah. Here, buddy. Get your perfectly sized oh, rodent. Oh, no, no, but I talked to a vet, and they said that the Oof. snake was lying down in the bed next to you to size you up to see if it could eat you. It's yeah. like, you think that a rabbit sits there and waits for a snake to lie down next to it to Dude, see I, if it's small enough to eat. I no. always love. I always love that story because I'll tell them that exact same thing. And they're like, "Huh, I never thought about that." Yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, what did what did you think? <laughs> did you think it was gonna literally like measure itself against every prey item for yeah, its, it's like, entire sit, life? Sit here for just a minute. Yeah. I need to see if uh, you're small enough for me to kill. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Hang you. Hang on. That that overly zealous African rock python is gonna go stand, lay next to an elephant. <laughs> To see if it's possible to eat. <laughs> Hold on. Nah. Don't trample me, bro. I'm just checking <laughs> just to see checking. if I can eat. Just That's checking. it. That's all. That's it. No? Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Too big? Okay. On yeah. to the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> no. Come on now. Every animal is out there doing its best to survive. Exactly. And, and they do what they can. If it's something that's too big for them to eat, then you go, oh, crap. I killed that thing by accident. They leave mm -hmm. it for something else to eat. If it's small enough, then they'll eat it. Yeah, that's, that's basically what it was down to. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's, it kind of goes to an another aspect, you know, I feel is as you mature as a keeper, you kind of start to figure that out, yeah. you know, um, especially if like you have those experiences in a Facebook group or like back in the day forums, mm. you know, like think Oof. about all the pages of forum discussions that just went awry. You just like, said discussions. Yeah. Those were fights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. There were some <laughs> brawls yeah. on, on some of the old Oof, forums. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, you think about that and, like, somebody's telling you, you can't keep that that way. It's got to be cut this way. But then you look at the two animals, like a picture of their animal in enclosure and a picture of your animal in enclosure. And the animal looks basically identical look, yeah. as far as, like, health. Yes. You know what I mean? And you're like, well, well what the hell, dude? Yeah. You know? My my two year old corn snake might actually even be bigger than yours, bro. <laughs> so like, don't be mad that I used Reptibark instead of shredded aspen. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Like like stupid little things like that. Um, I remember the ar the argument years ago was always uh, humid hives. Oh yeah. Everything had to have a humid hive. Mm -hmm. You know, and it you couldn't you couldn't just extra spray the bedding. Never. It had to be. It had to have its own hide moss. with some moss. Yep, some sphagnum moss, um, or damp paper towels. I do love the smell of sphagnum, though. Hey, true. <laughs> Very true. Um, but I remember, I remember having a, a corn snake set up, and I had uh, like two corn snakes in this twenty-gallon long tank, like two juvenile corn snakes in there, and uh, always had to check that humid hide. Make sure it was nice and humid so they would shed perfectly. <laughs> and then uh, they got too big for it. And I was like, no way in hell am I spending $45 for the next size up for this fucking humid hide. I was like, I'm just going to spray you. Yeah. <laughs> and they're fine. Wow, they had full I mean? sheds. Could yeah, you imagine? Yeah, still had full sheds. But, you know, I, I feel like that's, as a new keeper, like, if somebody actually takes the time to tell you, like, there's... It, like you don't have to follow this care sheet exactly to what it is. Yeah. You know, you'll find that something might work better for you down the road. Like if somebody's going to take the time to tell you that you're probably going to want to hold on to it, yeah. you know, cause I, I certainly have appreciated those who will tell me, you know, their experience and then say, but you know, you might have a different experience based on how you're keeping. I tend to respect those people's opinions a little bit more. A lot of more than, for me. <laughs> than the people that are just like, you have to do it like this. Yeah. You have to, it has to be this way. You know, um, and I mean, like, it, it's a perfect example, I think, if we're seeing this as, like, the, uh, the, the Boland's Python breeding race, 
is go is is going on. I'm not talking about that. No, no, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying like it's interesting to see because I think you and I both follow a bunch of various people that yeah. that have their fingers in in that, and um, oof, <laughs> and uh, and everybody's doing it a little differently. Yep. You know, so it's 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 just interesting to see is is, is all I'm alluding to there. Um, you know, and I, and I mean, that's considered a, a difficult species, yeah. you know, to maintain. So, you know, and everybody that's, I think almost everybody that's doing it is doing it a totally different way yeah. for the most part, you know, and, um, and everybody's still sucking at it. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a very tough snake to breed. Yeah, no, 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 it is, it is, it is. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. Trust me. Um, uh. But it's just going to show, you know, if that's if that's how, you know, people who are taking on that challenge are approaching it, then certainly something as simple Easy as a is. corn snake or, or a, a ball gecko. python or a leopard gecko or a bearded dragon uh, or a Pac-Man frog, way easier to figure out, mm -hmm. you know, way easier to figure out. Um, you know, like I, I just had a friend over um, the other day and uh, she's... She was like, I need you to, like, teach me the ways of, like, breeding snakes. And I was like, well, I'm more than happy to, but it's it's breeding ball pythons, you know. So I'm like, yeah. it's really not, it's not that complicated. Yeah. But also, you might have a totally different experience mm -hmm. because you live in a totally different part of the country. So you don't really get snow. You get hurricanes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh, those happen a little bit earlier in the year than snow. Yeah. So you might want to start pairing your stuff up earlier than, than I would. Yeah. You know, and that's not a bad thing. You know, but being able to figure that out, you know, um, is, is important. Yeah. And I think another thing that I wish I had known, I mean, I, I knew this pretty well when I was younger because I, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now if I hadn't done this. Mm -hmm. But I see the other people that have a tough time with this is to reach out to people. Like, yes. if you have questions, don't be afraid to reach out to the people who are doing it or the people who you see and you're looking up to because never has it been easier in the history of mankind to mm -hmm. reach that person over there yep. than right now. Reach yeah. out and touch a brother. Yeah, I mean, not maybe not that, but, <laughs> like, uh, you could definitely get in contact. Like, Kevin McCurley has his own Instagram account that he moderates, and, and I mean, he doesn't read his messages, yeah, but... he does not read his messages. Maybe a bad example, but uh, <laughs> other people out there who are doing it, you know, Brian Cusco is running his own Instagram. He's running it his is? own YouTube. If you have a question for Brian Cusco, you can reach out and talk to Brian Cusco right there. Brian Barcheck. You can talk to Brian Barcheck. You know, he's a busy guy. He might not get to you right away, but you can reach those people. If you see mm -hmm. someone who's you know, breeding white lip pythons and you're interested in white lip pythons, you can reach out to that person and pick their brain about what they're doing and how you could maybe incorporate what they're doing into how you do things. And mm -hmm. maybe that can lead to you being successful. It's, it's not this like, Oh, well I read an article about someone who did it 30 years ago and they recorded kind of what they did in their house. But you know, that's it. You could have pictures, you can get video, you can get actual, right. You know, you can figure out where that person is in the country. You can get all of this information that was not accessible, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. You know, maybe 10 years ago, but, like, is much yeah. more accessible now than it, it was previously. And, like, I've had people message me, and they're, like, you know, asking me a question on Instagram or whatever. And I'll reply back to them, and they're like, oh, shit, I didn't think you were actually going to respond back. Yeah, like, you, yeah, yeah. You've got people who follow you. And, also, and I'm like, I am just a weird reptile person i am not a celebrity uh yeah. i am not anyone who is like you know i don't feel like that way about myself so if you've got questions you can reach out to me and i'll probably answer them yep. um the only one that i'm like not super keen on is if people breed morphs and they're like what morph is this and i'm like i don't i don't know man you figure it you bred the animals you should yeah, be able to yeah, figure yeah. it out i don't yeah, know you figure it out. yeah but like you could very easily get input from people who you uh, admire or people who are doing the things that you want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And most people are pretty genuine. They'll, they'll tell you. And if they aren't interested in telling you, they'll just say, look, I'm not, I don't feel like talking about that or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you can reach out to people and, and learn from them because 
you can learn something new from every single person that you meet in life. It's yeah. very rarely a person that you can't learn anything new from. Even people who are not smart in the areas where you're smart, they might be smart about something completely different mm-hmm. than you are. And they might be doing things a little bit different than how you would approach things. So just having that insight to be able to reach out and to learn something new from someone. I learn things from people who are younger than me constantly. I'm like, oh, I had no idea that you could do things like that. That's interesting. Steve Tillis. Yeah, Jesus Christ, Steve. <laughs> like, what the? God damn it, man. We have to have him back on we do, for yeah. another episode of, like, the hosts. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, like, people like that, man, he's so intelligent. And, and the way that he approaches something – most things is not how most other people would approach things. Mm -hmm. And I've seen him take other things and incorporate things that I'm doing, things that I've seen other people doing into the way that he does things like using the, um, the corrugated tubing as arboreal hides for some of his scrubs and some of his arboreal snakes. And that's something that, you know, I, I don't want to say that I started that because I wasn't the first person to ever do that, but I was one of the people who like kind of put it out there and was like, Hey, look, what I had seen, I had seen somebody take the corrugated tubing and they use them as hides in their snakes, like cut them in half down the middle. Mm-hmm. So it makes like a half log mm-hmm. out of plastic. Yeah. And they're like, look, it's a disposable hide. You can take it and if they poop on it or it gets moldy or whatever, it, it's resistant to mold. But if it gets dirty for some reason and you don't have the time to clean it or it's not applicable to clean it, throw it out. It costs you 10 cents and you right. can get another one and it's right there. It's super easy. It's accessible at every Home Depot or Lowe's, the black ribbed corrugated tubing and they make it at different sizes so you can make different size hides and different stuff like that. And when I saw that person doing the corrugated tubing for the hides, like the half logs, I was like, I wonder if I could take that and zip tie it to the top of a tub or a top of an enclosure and use it for Amazon tree boas because I love Amazon tree boas because mm-hmm. they don't really like to sit on branches like a green tree <clears throat> python or an emerald tree boa. They yeah. usually like to sit on something flat or like an angle. Like if you got a Y in a, a branch, they might mm. sit in that. But they don't really like to sit like on a branch itself very often. And I was like, I wonder if they would like that. And so I just tested it out. I just bought some corrugated tubing. I cut it into sections. I put it in some Amazon tree boas that I was working with. And within 48 hours, every single one of them was using the tubes. And I was like, holy shit. This is like, this is, this was meant for them. Like, and people hadn't done that before. People hadn't used that before. And so I posted in the Amazon tree bow group and I was like, this works for my Amazon tree bow is if you guys want to try this, I think it's great. I think it's something that, you know, it's easily disposable if they poop in it, you know, cause everyone's like, Oh, what happens if they poop in it? I was like, it costs you 20 bucks for a 30 foot section of it or whatever it is. It's it's very, very cheap to make. And you can, you know, do the different sizes. You don't have to cut it in half if you don't want to. You can use it as a full roll and just zip tie it to the, you know, make holes in the sides or the top of the tub and zip tie it to the top. And it makes a very accessible hide and it's dark during the daytime. It's off the ground. So the Amazon tree bows feel secure in there. Um, and it's something that works for the keeper and for the animal because a lot of people, when they work with Amazon tree bows, if you have to hook the animal to get it out, it's going to stress it out. It might strike at you, blah, blah, blah. When they're in that corrugated tube, you take the top off of the enclosure, like in a tub, I, I was using it in a tub. So when I would take the top of the tub off, they're hiding in the tube. So what I would do is take the top place it down on a counter or in on top of another bin so that it's suspended still. And then I clean the enclosure and I can take it out and scrub it and I can do whatever I want without disturbing the animal. The animal's perfectly fine inside of its hide. Most minimal amount of stress on that animal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people um, in the Amazon community had adopted that and started using those hides for their Amazons. They They found very great success with those hides and the way that they're utilized. And that's just from me watching somebody else and how they're improvising and then improvising it a little bit myself. And then I saw other people improvising, like Steve puts his on the sides of the enclosures as opposed to on the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it's a little bit easier for the way that he does things. And as we are growing, as we are learning, you can take little things like that and learn and expand and and uh, experiment to mm-hmm. figure out different ways that we can do things. And I, th- I think that's super interesting. And, you know, if, if I had maybe pitched that 15 years ago. Oh, I'm going to take corrugated tubing from, you know, 
Home Depot and I'm gonna put it in my reptiles cage. People will probably be like, "You're an idiot. Go and get an actual hide. You yeah, know, yeah, you're yeah. you're just being cheap right now." Get and it's a like, hide. Yeah, yeah. They, they they would they would probably lambaste you for that sort of stuff. But yeah. you know, when you put it into practice and see that those animals actually really enjoy those specific kinds of things, they work for them. Who's to say that that's wrong? Like, mm. if they like it, they, that's what's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, what's yeah, best exactly. for them. Exactly. Yeah. If you listen to the animal, it tells you everything. Everything you, you need, need to know. know. Yeah. Hundred percent. I like that. So I don't know. That's that was just like, I wish that I had gotten that information, like processed it better when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I did experiment with different things, and I did try different things for you know whatever. But I've de- as I've grown and kept more things, those are most of the things that I wish that I had like embraced earlier and yeah. and don't you know j- just focus on what you like do what you like and you'll you know you'll you'll always be happy working with your animals because if you're working with a bunch of stuff just because it's a popular thing you're not going to be happy when you go into your reptile room long term so true so true it's what it is man yeah i um the last thing i'll i'll throw in here because i know we're we're getting close to the end <clears throat> one of the things that um has held true in in both facets of my life, both musically and with reptiles. Um, You know, again, going back to that focus on what you like Mm -hmm. aspect, um, especially if you're going to be working with a larger amount of animals for breeding, um, you know, you're the person that's got to take care of the animal. So if you open up a drawer and you're not like, oh man, this thing's so awesome you're not going to want to open that drawer very much. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that's not great because yeah. then that animal's going to suffer because it's not getting that attention that it deserves, that the maintenance it deserves, whatever. And I mean, not to say that you'll take care of it less because you don't enjoy it as much, but, you know, I think everybody has, like, their favorite animal or whatever, you know, so it's like... It's motivation. Don't let it be, yeah, yeah, don't let it be the ugly red-headed stepchild kind of <laughs> deal, you know. But, like... Same thing with, like, musically. Um, I remember when I was, like, buying a trumpet, you know, my teacher was like, because I was like, oh, you know, what, what about this horn or what about this horn? And he's like, well, what's the one that's going to motivate you to practice more? Mm-hmm. What's the one that you like to hold, you know, that you like the way it sounds that's going to make you want to actually play? And when I actually, like, internalized that, it actually it made me pick very different things than what I was like originally looking at. Um, so I think that's, that's a major, major key. Um, especially if you want to keep again, multiple reptiles is work with what you like. And especially if you're going to be breeding, like you gotta be okay with opening up some tubs, you know, for babies that you might quote, get stuck with, you mm-hmm. know, that don't necessarily sell right away. Can you still be like, oh, man, this thing's awesome? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a major, major, major thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that motivation because, you know, you might not always have good days. You might not always, you know, come home from work. If you have a regular day job, you might always come home from work and be like, yeah, I want to go to the reptile room. Some days you're just exhausted, like emotionally, mm-hmm. physically. It's, it's just life. That's how it is. But if you've got animals that you're actually, like, invested in and you love – when you get home, even on those days where you're like, oh, man, I'm tired right now, but you know what? When I open up that tub, when I see that snake, when I see that lizard, it's going to make it better. It's going to, it might yeah. not make it all better, but it'll make that <laughs> right, moment right. a little bit better. Uh, you know, you get to enjoy that animal. And that is ultimately where you want to be because uh, that's going to make you want to go into that reptile room. It's going to make you want to, you know, feed them, watch them grow, see that shed, you know and then reproduce them if you choose to go down that lane but to want to spend time with those animals and that's ultimately what it boils down to is you know you want to be invested in what you're taking care of 100% so Jeremy yes do you have any animals on Morph Market right now I do you do you have some snakes for sale I do I have um, it's mostly ball pythons right now I have a couple carpets listed uh, but mostly some ball pythons right now. Some more stuff will be added very soon. Ooh. Um, yeah, like some coral glow leopardy kind of stuff. 
Mm, it's under Brass Man Reptiles. Under Brass Man Reptiles. Cool. How about how about you? I already know the answer to this, yeah. but how about you? <laughs> I, I've got some Borneo short tails listed on Morph Market. I'm going to be listing some on Fauna probably here on my days off coming up. Um, and then I I don't even know if I'm going to end up posting those West Pop ones. I already know I'm, a lot of them are already spoken for, so I I don't know. I, I might post one or two from that group, but I, a lot of them are already spoken for from my half of the clutch, so the rest of them are going to be posted on Nerd's website. Boom. So if you wanted some of those, you can go through Nerd or you know whatever. Maybe message me if you want. So if people want to find more of the things that you're doing, Jeremy, they should check your Patreon and where else? Yes, they can also check me out. On Facebook and Instagram at Brassman Reptiles and on Twitter at Brassman Rep. I've been in a lull of posting on Twitter recently, so I'm trying to get back to that. Twitter's I, always like uh, the last, yeah. the last one that I do anything on. Yeah. So you know, if you want to see it last, <laughs> go to Twitter. I I, whenever I think of something, I'm like, oh, that should go on Twitter, and then I'm like, I'm gonna post it on Instagram first, and then I'm like, eh, fuck Twitter. I'm, yeah. like, I'm not gonna go on Twitter. Too but easy. I have to start using Twitter. So I, yeah. if you want to find out more about what I'm doing, you can look me up on Instagram. Rob is creeping it real. I'm on Morph Market under Rob is Creeping It Real or Creeping It Real with Rob. And then uh, Twitter is Rob is Creeping. And YouTube, Rob is Creeping It Real or Creeping It Real with Rob. I can't remember. It's one or the other. Damn. I actually did put out a YouTube video recently. You did? I, I just thought of a really good video that I'm going to record this up, upcoming week uh, working with scrub pythons. <laughs> so I've got one scrub python that's, like, afraid of everything. Oof. So I'm going to take it outside and uh, – just show you a scared scrub python and how I handle it and work with it. And then some of my better bite. ones, I, I might, I don't know. She usually is not super crazy about biting, but it, it moves really fast. Yeah. Oh, boy. And then, you know, work with some of my other ones that I've spent a lot of time socializing and, and how the difference is in those different types of animals. So those will be cool. That's a video Sweet. that's coming up in the future. But we appreciate you guys for tuning in. Yes. And we'll see you next time. Bam.